Hi, Andrew. Hello, hello, Chloe. How are you? What's happening? Thank you for joining me. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I've never done one of these before, uh, but you know, seems like it's going to be fun. And I've listened to some of yours and I was like, she sounds interesting. So absolutely. Yeah, right on. Look at your pro setup though. Oh yeah. So I actually, this came in two days ago when you were like, get a mic. I was like, fuck, I don't have any wired microphone. <laughs> and also I'm, I'm actually in the process of uh, creating an editing course with uh, another photographer. So I was like, I need good audio. This is the right prompt. So check me out. I got a little, uh, microphone and this little, little wind guard or whatever that is oh that's a wind guard so i just made that up i have no idea oh maybe that is that a diffuser to make your voice sound better like does it like it, are, are you you're a, you're the podcaster you tell me i'm an i'm a visuals guy i have no idea what's going on with audio <laughs> i i don't know <laughs> this is my setup right here what do you got this going oh I you got, got a you got a mic attached yeah. to you oh yeah because uh, I have a whole setup if we were in person, but I haven't been able to use it yet other than one of my friends. Did you podcast much before the pandemic or? You know what? The podcast came within the pandemic. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I have a dog. And so we're always outside and walking and I go hiking a lot. And it really shifts my mind and changes yeah. my day and gives me a new perspective. A lot of the static thoughts that I had have been shifted because of podcasts. So yeah. amazing. Just because the level of conversation, I was like, man, I, I know a lot of interesting people that when they speak, people will want to listen. So that's what made me start it. Amazing. Yeah. I'm just now getting into it, especially it started with, with Clubhouse. I started listening to Clubhouse and then I was just like, I like the idea of listening in other people's conversations. So then I started getting into podcasts. So hell yeah. Has your experience on Clubhouse been good? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I haven't, I've done a couple things. Uh, so I'll sit on some wildlife panels, uh, you know, wildlife photographers. So it's cool meeting like, I'm, I do mostly Africa. So I've only met, you know, African photographers. So Clubhouse has let me get in contact with like North American wildlife photographers and, you know, just people who shoot in different places. So that's been cool. And then like, there's been some fun stuff. They do this on Tuesday, this Asian bachelor, Asian bachelorette show, uh, you know, where it's like a, just like this, they bring people on stage and they make people ask these questions. So I got, I jumped in, I was like, what the hell is this? And they brought me on stage. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm in this thing. So I, I was a contestant for one of their bachelorette shows. So that was fun. So yeah, it's been cool, I guess. What's your experience? Nice. With Clubhouse? Hold on one second. Yep. Asians on the rise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Have you seen that new movie that just came out, Minari? Mm -mm, no, I haven't watched any movies lately. What's Minari? Oh, you about? haven't? Have, oh, you haven't even heard about it at no, all? No, mm -mm, mm -mm. Are, been, are you Chinese or Korean? I'm Chinese, Chinese. Oh, actually, Chinese, like, I was born in Shanghai, actually, so I'm Chinese, oh. like, watching, yeah. Oh, okay. And then when did you move to the U.S.? Uh, when I was six. So when I was three, we moved to Japan for three years while my dad finished his PhD, and then I moved to San Diego when I was six. Oh, got it. Yeah. What does your dad do? What did he study? Uh, so he, when he went to Japan, he, he, he was an MD in, uh, ophthalmology. So he did eye surgery in, in China and then he was like, fuck that. So then, uh, he did cell bio in, uh, in Japan and then he came to the States to study neuroscience. Now, now he works at Yale. He does electron microscopy. So imaging of, of brain cells. He doesn't do research anymore. He just supports research. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Minari is about a Korean American family. It's the story of immigration and starting a new life in America. I think it's based in Arkansas or something like this. A director, it's loosely based on the director's life. 
but I think it just won best picture. Or, oh, all right, let me write this down. I have to see it because it's good. It's so yeah. close to home for me, right? I know. M A M I N A R I. M I N A R I. Yeah. I think it's on Amazon Prime or Hulu. Excellent. I'm sure you've seen Okja and Parasite, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So I heard a really cool story about Okja. Okja was one of the first Netflix movies that went to cons. And so you know how cons is. It's an institution. They're so old school. Yeah. So when the screen came up and it said Netflix, everyone started booing in the theater. They watched the film, and at the end, everyone rose and gave a standing ovation. That's beautiful. Oh, I love that. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> and you, did you see the speech that he gave, the director, mm. when he mm. won his Oscar? Mm. Oh, my God. Okay, I'll send it to you. Yeah, please, please after do. After we yeah. talk. It, you'll cry. It's so heartwarming. Oh. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I love seeing Asian representation. I've never had that mm-hmm. when I was younger. There's so much. Yeah, it, it wasn't around when we were younger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, especially I, like last five years, there's been so much. It's nice. I know. I mean, I had 90210 growing up. <laughs> this the had, Beverly Hills show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All white people. <laughs> I used to watch Jackie Chan movies. That was inspiring. Oh, Bruce yeah. Lee, you know, uh-huh. yeah, kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And where did you grow up? Did you grow up in California, or did you? Uh, between San Diego and Dallas, uh, oh. so about half half. But I would say my more formative years were in Dallas. It's a suburb of Dallas called Allen. Oh, yeah, okay. I grew up around white people too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into photography and traveling and taking all these dope shots around the world? Beep beep. Hi, friends. We are brought to you by Earth Tonic Skincare, an all organic facial product line, handmade in Ojai, California. Our beloved Higher States community will get $15 off any purchase over 75. In addition, 50 trees will be planted along with your purchase via treesforthefuture.org, a nonprofit dedicated to planting trees and growing food forests to empower communities damaged by monocrop farming. They use regenerative farming practices to bring nutrients back to the soil, restoring the earth and providing a diverse food source and livelihood to farmers around the world. My personal favorites from Earth Tonics are the Botanical Toning Mist and the Immortel Mushroom Milk Serum. If you're into scents and essential oils, these products are so pure and luxurious, it will leave your skin feeling hydrated, dewy, buoyant, and delicious. All products are made with love and intention for you to be more gentle and kind to yourself while you're looking in the mirror putting these products on your skin. Enter Higher States, all one word in capital letters, at checkout to receive your discount www.earthtonicskincare.com. That's www.earthtonics with an S, skincare.com. Have you heard of Brave? Brave is a fast, privacy preserving browser that feels like Google Chrome, but without the ads and the various kinds of tracking that ads come with. I was using Chrome before for its minimal and uncluttered interface, but Brave has made it so easy to import bookmarks and extensions over that with its extra privacy feature, I'm a newfound fan. The Brave browser is free and available on all platforms and is actively used by more than 20 million people around the world. Speed-wise, it feels more responsive and also feels private and secure. 
try it out at brave.com. If you enjoy these episodes and you find that it adds value to your life, please consider supporting the podcast through Patreon, www.patreon.com slash higher states. Connect with me on Instagram at higher states with two S's at the end. Why two S's at the end, you ask? Well, someone out there is keeping the one with one S hostage and has not responded to my DMs. So if you're out there, please let me have it. Last time I checked, it didn't even seem like you use it. Okay, okay, I digress. Now, back to our show. Well, let's see, where do I start? Uh, I'll give you the short version and then you can just pick around, right? Um, I think travel has always been in my blood because my dad loves to move around and travel. So like ever since I was a kid, we moved a lot. I was making new friends, seeing new places. So I picked consulting right out of school because it was like, you get to travel every week to a different client in a different place. There's international clients, there's whatever, you know? So I was like, all right, well, I don't know what I want to do. So that sounds great. I'll do whatever if I get to travel for free. Uh, so there's that. And then photography, I didn't, I used to just travel and get drunk everywhere and never take any photos. And then when I was living in New York, 2017, 2018, I discovered urban exploration. So I started climbing like skyscrapers and cranes, construction sites of those things and taking photographs of the New York skyline and, and of my feet dangling off the side, you know, whatever. Right. And, and I met, yeah. And then, so that, that was cool. So that's, that's, then I bought a camera cause I was like, I should capture these moments. And then I started learning about photography. I was like, I love this. And then I got arrested on the crane, you know, and then I was kind of, that was kind of the end of that. And I was like, all right, well, I should probably photograph something else. So then I took a sabbatical like a year later, found my way to Africa, volunteered at a wildlife conservation. And there was a Nat Geo photographer there that kind of taught me, you know, how to shoot wildlife photography and I fell in love. Wow. So you basically just bought your own ticket and put yourself in this situation and got lucky with another photographer there? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was a, there was a photography program, but I guess I didn't, it was a, it was a conservation. There was a, I just signed up for the photography program, but I thought I was just going to be like shooting some photos for, I didn't know that it was going to be like a whole schooling in wildlife photography. I thought it was just, you know, like an opportunity to go out there and take some conservation photos for them. What I didn't know was that it was going to become like a passion. I was just looking for something to do. It was the start of my sabbatical. My friend, my roommate from New York, she was getting married down there. So that's why I went to Cape Town. And then I was like, I should find something to do while I'm here. And then afterwards, I was like, like, I'm in love. This is what I want to do. Wow. So walk me through what it's like to when you're getting a shot. Yeah. In Africa specifically. Yeah. Well, let's see. It's an early start for me. I'm usually up at like 4 a.m. And then we get in the car. We try to leave the camp by five, which you're technically not supposed to do until like six, but you got to get out in the dark. So we're out there driving around in the dark, sometimes getting stuck in the dark and then you know my driver he's like an excellent so he can somehow manage to get the car unstuck from these wet ditches and, and whatnot without being able to see anything we go to where we found the animals the night before we look for them and then we just wait once you ideally if you spot them that's great you just wait for them to do something interesting if not you're in an area where you think they are and you're just you're just chilling and then it's hours and hours of waiting and sometimes they'll come up to the car sometimes they'll they'll move around and waiting and watching until uh, something cool happens and then you just you know you got to be ready to capture it or anticipating their behavior watching for example like a hunt play out and knowing that like so the cheetahs are stalking over here the herd is over here so we need to get on the far side away from these trees where i think they're going to run toward us and then just hope you guessed right oh so you stalk them out the night before ideally 
if you don't, if you couldn't find one the night before, then in the morning, you're like driving around aimlessly looking for animals. Sometimes you get lucky. One time we were driving and just like out of the bushes, like a, a reed buck starts running through and then a cheetah is chasing right after it. And then just like, I don't know, like maybe 20 meters to our right, it catches it and fucking kills it. And we're just like, what? The? I didn't get any photos of the thing until the very end because I was just so shocked. I wasn't ready to shoot, right? We're just driving. And then we're like, what the fuck? Yeah, sometimes you get lucky. And is it just you and the driver in the car or are there more photographers too? Yeah, I usually go solo. That way I can position the car better. I mean, a lot of times safari, there's multiple people, right? It makes it more affordable, but I have a special cutout vehicle where the doors are cut out and like there's a mattress that I lay down in. It just helps me get better angles. And I'm pretty picky. I'm like, you know, like move forward half a foot. No, no, stop. Go backwards a little bit. Like rotate this way from the sun, right? So these things that if you have other people, it would just be annoying. They'd be like, stop moving the car. I'm trying to photograph. Mm, so when you go over there, you have a base, it sounds like. Yeah, like a base camp. You just choose a camp uh, that you, you go in. There's different scenarios. So ideally, in Namibia, I stayed at like a nice lodge. So that's great. Everything's like set up. The driver picks you up in the morning, you shoot in the morning and they take you back and you have lunch and dinner. Here in the Maasai Mara in Kenya, it's a pretty bare bones camp. It's cheap in the middle of the, so I stay out all day in the car and then just come back and sleep. Got it. Yeah. So are you only in the South? Do you go anywhere else? Oh, you mean where in Africa? Yeah. I've only had the pleasure I've gone to, so I've shot in South Africa, Namibia, and, and Kenya. I think most of my, my latest shots are from Kenya. The Maasai Mara is sort of, as far as African wildlife goes, uh, specifically the big cats and the predators, it's, it has the densest predator population. Oh, um, really? So it's expensive to shoot at, but like, it's very photographically productive. So I've been shooting in Kenya a lot, and I think that that's kind of become my, my place for now. Yeah. Oh, what? Okay, say if I wanted to go, yeah. how much do I need? How much time what? or money? Money. What do you want to do? You want to go do what I'm doing, or you want to like go go on safari? Because like it's fun to go on safari without, like, so a normal safari you would go. All right, so like really cheap. Nah, hold on. What am I saying here? If you stay at a lodge in Namibia. Uh, Arindi is this nice lodge I stayed at. I think it's like three or four hundred dollars a night. And that's that was like I got this sick room where there was this watering hole that my balcony would lead out to, and elephants and rhinos and whatever would just be over there, like maybe 25 meters away, just uh, you know, drinking and making noise at night. And I would just at, at night I would sit out on my balcony and like there's this port wine that they always make sure I had there, and I'd sit there and just drink the port wine and just listen. That comfortable experience is like three, four hundred dollars a night. What I'm doing in the Masai Mara. Private guide, two hundred dollars a day with a vehicle. The camp, two hundred dollars a day. Uh, park fees, like eighty dollars a day. You know, it 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 adds up. And then, of course, if you want to stay at a nice lodge in the Maasai Mara, which I did, it can be over like a thousand dollars a night. But I just did like a couple of nights just to see what it was like. Yeah. Have have the butler run the bath for you or whatever you just like. <laughs> like a dinner. Like, oh, run it. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> Coming to America style. <laughs> Would you like to be washed, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I've never had someone wash me. I think it'd be fucking weird. Have you? Have you? Have you had that? No. Well, my grandma when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you have the best life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fire. That's my dream job on the side. What yeah. you're doing. Yeah, it's not something that makes a ton of money, right? I think I've just uh I saved, so I saved up after I found photography in 2019. I was on sabbatical from work 
And then I went back to work for like six months, saved up a bunch of cash to take this year off to go play. Um, and then uh, Bitcoin blew up. So I actually have some more runway now. Thank uh, God. Um, this is a fun thing to do with my time. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely cash flow negative for now. I mean, 100%. <laughs> oh, really? There's not much yeah. money in photography? I think there is. It's just, you know, like if you think about it like a business, there's just startup costs, right? So like yeah. my startup costs were going on these vacations, buying camera gear and fucking whatever, <laughs> right? Which, which I was able to write off as business expenses for my taxes. So that was really good. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, now I just launched a print shop. I'm starting to work on an editing course. Um, I've taught some one-on-one editing lessons. So there's, there's ways to make money. You know, I just haven't, I was just establishing myself skill-wise first. Right, right. Yeah. I feel you though, for... About eight years of my life, I traveled around the world and taught yoga and meditation. That's so cool, yeah. I made no money, but I was so happy. And I was young, so I didn't need much. And all I wanted was to be in a new place and do something that I loved, which was teach yoga at the time. So, man, it was a blast. But there was one day where I was like, okay, I I need to go back to America. At some point, I think as you... Well, maybe A, you scratch the itch that you have for adventure or whatnot a little bit, and then you feel the need to have to be more established. I don't know, but eight years, I mean, that's that's amazing. If I could make this life last for eight years, I would be so happy. Well, just go back and forth. That's what yeah. I used to do. It sounds yeah. like that's what you're doing. If you worked for six months, and saved a bunch of money. That's that's what I'm trying to do. Take these little mini retirements, right? Uh-huh. Where did <laughs> you, where, yeah. Where did you go teach yoga? That's so cool. So I started out in Mexico. I taught at this little place called, um, fuck, what was it called? It was right off the coast of Puerto Vallarta and you could only get there by boat or by donkey. There were no roads. (laughs) Donkeys can't swim though. It just seems like the two, sorry, go ahead. No, on the road. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the water because there were no roads. A donkey would have to go through the jungle. Oh, okay. Dirt, That's cool. Dirt path it, road, not real, not car road. Uh, Camixto, that was called. And then from there, I went to Bali. And yeah. from Bali, went to Malaysia and Thailand. And then I came back to the US because I ran out of money. And then I went back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yep. <laughs> because I had enough to live, but not enough to save. And that's when I realized, man, and especially in foreign countries too, there's only so, for me, there was only so much that I could grow. I felt a little stunted. Yeah. Of, okay, here I am in this village. It's paradise. The people are amazing, but I'm not growing. I felt stagnant. I reached my peak. Yeah. And I, I think like, it's, and when you reach your peak, it's important to change things up, right? I think going back yeah. and forth actually stimulates growth in both environments. When I came back to consulting, after my sabbatical, I was actually in Bali for the, my last three months, you know, just oh, doing you whatever, right? And I came back and I had to relearn all these consulting skills, but I feel like as I relearned them with already having that base, I got better because I was intentionally practicing things that before, you know, I was just too like stressed out to learn or whatever. So yeah, I think hopping back and forth is good for both categories. Yeah, I think travel also is so important for people. I read that 75% of Americans don't even have a passport, which means they've never left the country. And that keeps one's mind so small. If you don't yeah. see other cultures, try to talk their language, eat weird food, be a foreigner in another country. You know, it's humbling. Yeah. How did you how did you find travel? Like for me, you know, my parents traveled, right? So it was just always part of something that was life. But how'd you do it? I loved it. Uh, if I could just bounce around for the rest of my life, I would with my dog. <laughs> when I was 
19, there was a working holiday visa program with New Zealand and the US. So that's the first place I went. And when I was a kid, I was always reading Jack Kerouac and Noam Chomsky. So yeah. anti-government and I wanted to see the world and I was this yogi. So that's what catalysted me was New Zealand and just seeing the wildlife and how untouched nature is there. It's really like a story tale or yeah. fairy tale, excuse fairy me. Tale. Yeah, so beautiful there. And then from there, I went to Australia and Australia, again, incredible the wildlife there and the plants. Yeah. They have plants there that will kill you if you touch it. There's one plant that if you stand underneath the vine, the Aborigines have nicknamed it Gimpy Gimpy. It'll grasp onto your body if you start to clench and feel stress and try to fight it off. And it won't let go of its grip until you relax. That's why- Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sounds like a, like a genetically engineered you know, death trap. That's amazing. You have to go gimp, therefore gimpy gimpy. <laughs> so you have to go, so you freak out and it grabs you and then you have to like relax. Yeah. That's scary. I would, it would just kill me, I think. It would just like kill me. Really? You wouldn't be able to relax? No. You'd be too freaked no. out? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you see those like quicksand, right? Like growing up, you see the commercials or the cartoons where, uh, you know, like, the thing uh -huh. they fall in quicksand and they, they, they struggle and they die. I'm like, yeah, I would be struggling. What the fuck? I can't, how could you, you're sinking slowly. Like, I don't know. I don't think I'd be able to control myself. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to handle leeches in water. Uh, Have you ever no, across that? No. What kind of situation would I be in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Walking through a pond or a river. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've had to pull leeches off. I can't remember, but I, I feel like I've had to pull leeches off me before, but it's disgusting. Yeah, it's not. Oh. Yeah, because they're sucking on your skin to get your blood. Have you traveled a lot throughout the U.S.? That's something I haven't done. I have, uh, but mostly because of consulting. So, like, when I when I started in consulting, you know, I was based here out of Dallas, and then uh, most of my U.S. map is is populated. I've been to most cities. Uh, on the weekends, I could fly for free, and so all my friends are consultants as well. So for my first two years, we would just pick a city and then just meet up there for the weekend, and and uh -huh. so. <laughs> I got a lot of my U.S. travel in then. It was cool. And then I didn't start international travel until maybe like 20. I mean, I didn't start a lot of international travel until 2019. Ah, consulting for what? I studied management consulting. Um, I worked at Deloitte and Carney. We solve business problems with PowerPoint. <laughs> it's like help people design their organizations, uh, you know, things like that. So they call your company and they say, we have problem with X, Y, and Z. And then you come in and assess. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, it's more we're like uh, flexible business problem solvers. So they hire us for I don't know, six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is to kind of figure out how they should go about solving the problem. Got it's it. very generic. Like I Yeah, I don't want to. Uh, and you can yeah. work on a freelance basis where you can just come and go whenever you please. Nope, absolutely uh, not. No, no, no. Uh, the, uh, it's a very rigorous like you have two years one and a half, two years in each role, and then you either make your promotion or you get fired. So there's not a lot of time to do this. I took my sabbatical after having made my my most recent promotion going like, I don't want to do this for a living anymore. So like, let me just, you know, whatever, right? So I took my sabbatical. And then when I came back, I was like, I just need some money. So let me just work for a little bit. I can swing six months or so. But no, I can't keep going back and forth oh, and doing this. Got it. Yeah, yeah. got it, got it, got it. Okay, so eventually you don't want to do consulting anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's just, okay. It's too many hours. I want to, I don't want to travel every week anymore. I want to have a home.
maybe a girlfriend, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some stability. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Where are you going next? Mm, that's a good point. Um, I'm actually going to Costa Rica next week. Yeah, I, I met this girl last week, and uh, I don't know, we're in sort of the middle of this like whirlwind romance, and uh, so on, on our second date, we're just like, let's run off to Costa Rica together. So we, we're going to Costa Rica for three weeks, and then, yeah, we'll see where that goes. What area? Nasara or somewhere else? Uh, we're flying to Liberia Airport. First five days, we're staying in Reserva Concha. We're staying at we're staying at the W just for like a quick honeymoon thing the first week while we then start planning out, you know, then we're going to try looking for Airbnbs, doing more of a digital nomad type situation. But yeah, the first, first five days would just be like a, you know, a resort vacation. Type yeah. Thing. yeah. Yeah. Be bougie for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. You, what do you, what do you, uh, have you, have you been, do you have any recommendations, any, any moments from Costa Rica that you remember that fondly? I went, I think 14 or 15 years ago, I went for New Year's for a week. How old are you? You're like 28. There. Oh, thank you. That's so <laughs> kind. <laughs> I'm 34. <laughs> Asian age. Although 34, I guess, is not that much older either. But yeah, 14 years ago. So you went right at 20. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's so funny. I saw my friend there that I went to high school with that I hadn't seen. And he, I walked into the discoteca and he was standing like this with his two arms out and there was a girl on each arm. <laughs> I was like, Colin, you're living it up. <laughs> Go Colin, he, hell yeah. He's the typical quintessential beach bum, bleach blonde hair, always with his shirt off in board shorts, you know. That's the perfect place for him. Totally, yeah. Him and his dad opened up a surf school down there. Really? Uh-huh. Okay, that's I met someone like that. I met a handful of Americans when I was there last who've just like they've made their lives out there. Just like you and I were talking about you traveling doing yoga or whatever. It's like, you know, you make enough to live and you're just fucking doing what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, or you make enough money here and then you just peace out. Yeah. Yeah, and find some way to get residual income. Maybe you open up a Airbnb or a cafe to sustain. Is that your, your life. plan? Yes, but to Hawaii. To Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Hawaii is expensive, though. It's not like a third world country to go. It's not like Bali or some shit, right? No, you're right. It's not. But it's still a part of the US. And I want to go to the Big Island, which is rugged and raw enough to where yeah. I will feel like I'm in a third world country, but I'll have everything <laughs> that I want and need. And I have some friends there that I really love that I'd love to be close to. So I'm figuring it out. I don't know how I'm going to get over there, but it's going to happen. No, I mean, Hawaii is amazing. It has everything that you would want from Bali in terms of like nature and whatnot. All I meant was that it was expensive. So like you can't take the same amount of money and stretch it, you know? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. The Amazon jungle also has always been a dream in the back of my head, but mm -hmm. I have to get really good at Spanish so I can navigate my life down there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I remember in Bali, I was only paying $300 US a month and living in this gorgeous palace overlooking rice paddies, one volcano to my left, another volcano to my right, waking oh. up to birds chirping. Someone would bring me breakfast and a fresh coconut every morning. It was so nice. It's such a luxury life. And to be fair, I don't know how long ago you went, but in 2019, the prices have inflated quite a bit. They're still oh, very, really? they're still very, I mean, yeah, but you know, the tourism, whatever, right? But it's still, it's still like extremely, like I rented, yeah, some really, really nice, villas for like $120 a night or something, which was, you know, 
you look at like some shitty hotel in New York for like five hundred dollars a night, and you're like, yeah, I'm living. I live life. Yeah. Where were you? What part of Bali? I moved around, stayed in Chenggu for weeks, a month, uh, stayed in Ubud for a little bit, went to the north part, uh, the north shore. I got scuba, I got my advanced scuba certification up there uh, in the north next to that wreck. Um, So yeah, I moved around the island, you know, just checking out different places because like it's, it's a bit difficult to move around, right? Like the, you can't like travel very far because the roads are fucked up. So it's better to just like switch your home base. You can see the local area. Did you get a scooter? Is that how you moved around or were you in mm-hmm. a car? Uh, I did both. Uh, I, I, I legit, I, I suck at two-wheeled vehicles. So I did get a scooter for like short distances, but I didn't trust myself to like ride it across like the island. Uh, I, w- I, d- I, got, I went dirt biking for a few times and then I totaled one of the dirt bikes and I was like, oh, all right, maybe for long rides, I should get a car. <laughs> <laughs> Not a rental, just someone driving me around, yeah. Yeah. I also went to the Komodo Islands. I did like the seven day sailboat tour where we were diving every day. Like the the sailboat would reposition at night to different parts of the Komodo Islands. And then we would do like multiple scuba dives every day. Uh, The marine life there, I've never seen anything like it. Like it's uh, one of those like blue zones or whatever. It's, it's, It's amazing. Describe it. Completely surrounded in schools of fish, like, you know, where they just go all around you. And then like a giant sea turtle will just come by and swim like right by you with no, you know, and there are sharks and there's just like, it's like all manner of marine life just clustered so close together. And the water visibility is great. So you can see all of it. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah. I found Nemo too. I found this little, uh, like a little Nemo looking fish hiding in those, whatever, like sea anemones or whatever. And it was like ducking around for me. It's <laughs> adorable. I didn't go scuba in Bali, but I went in Thailand and in Australia, and it was very similar to how you're describing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how the Great Barrier Reef is doing now, but a few years ago, it was disintegrating because of global warming, and there were patches of it that were going away. Global warming is still happening, so I imagine it's getting worse. Yeah, I imagine too, which is sad, but... Thank God I was able to experience that when it was still untapped. Because we went to an area that was so far out that the sea changed its, uh, I don't even know what word it's called, but basically I'll give you a visual. So the boat went out and the sea suddenly became shallow and you could then start to walk on coral, but obviously they told us not to do it. And then we would go out a little bit more and then the sea would drop again. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's, that's how the reef works, right? Or Yeah, it, the reef just grew up towards the sky. Well, I got to go see that before it completely disappears. I've never yeah. been to Australia. Yeah. Oh, you haven't? Mm-mm. Oh, I gotta man. Go next time. You do. How old are you? I'm 29. Oh, I think there's I know, a... Re- it's almost at the end of life. Yeah, it's quite bad. No, 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 no. I think there's a relationship between Australia and the U.S. now for a working visa. Oh, okay. That's dope. Maybe I'll look for a job there. What do the other wildlife photographers do? Are they doing that full time or do they do two things? So there's, there's a few different models. Some guys just do it like me. They have jobs and then they just go, you know, and usually that's the easiest because then you can just shell out for the most expensive digs or whatever in the nicest gear. But then the people who are out there, so they either work as photographic guides or they're, they're actual like field rangers. And so they, they give guests tours. Um, they're out there in the field all day, you know, and then they just also shoot when they have time. And then there's people who 
have started photography companies. So they, they put out photo books, magazines, uh, you know, interviews with other photographers, as well as running photo tours. So that's, that's what I've seen for the people who do it. So those people usually they live in their home country and then they, they stay out there for like maybe six months out of the year. The Rangers, obviously they live out there. Right. And so the, the Ranger situation is the best, except that you may not always have time to shoot, but you're always in the field. So that's, those guys get the coolest shots of like a, a lioness eating the head of her baby cub because it died of some disease. Like some of these like ultra rare moments, you know? Mm. Um, so Just yeah. Just cause they're there all the time. It's a, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. Like you drive out at, in, in any given day and you know, you may not see anything interesting once you've shot enough, obviously every day there's something interesting, but like after a while you've like seen all these scenes before and if you're going for like sort of more unique stuff, uh, it's a lot of waiting and a lot of time. Have you heard about this guy? His name is Richard Evan Schultes. Mm -mm, no. Should I look he, him yeah, if you're curious, he was a photographer. He, um, I think it was, I don't know what year. 50s, 40s, something like this, but the government hired him to go down to the Amazon because he was an ethnobotanist as well to get plants that were healing that the government could use for medicine. He wrote this book with Albert Hoffman. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm into all this psychedelics too. I love that oh, this you is are? what the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I read Hoffman's book about LSD. So he, they worked together on this. And he found, or go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted yeah. to say this stuff. And he became friends with the shamans and the Amazonian people, they really took him in and he started documenting and taking photographs of all of them and the plants that they would share with him. There was one in particular, what is the one, what, what's the medicine that numbs your mouth when you go to the dentist? The anesthesia? Lidocaine? Is it lidocaine? Uh, lidocaine is one numbing agent, but all the, everything in the cane family is a is num numbing agent. So I don't know exactly what he He's responsible for that. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. From the shamans, like they, they had that out there and he- Yeah. He, and the hallucinogens. So he must've, let's see what, like ayahuasca or like whatever yep. it is they were doing. Um, all of them. Maybe, he documented all of them. them. Yeah. So when I was in Colombia, they had a whole museum exhibit for him. So they had all his photographs and they had his books where he took all his notes and all his findings and the plant. Um, what do you call it when you put two pages together to get the rub? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know what it's called, but uh, I, that was a good description. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so cool. He, this guy's he's life is one so of, cool. He's one of my inspirations. I mean, there's so many elements about what he was like. So obviously like travel to, uh, you know, travel to the unknown and then documenting it, photography, building relationships with local tribes and then just the whole like drugs like I love fucking drugs right like I, like I love the idea of of altered states and whatnot and so all of this combined in this documentary photojournalism thing like his life's work is that's something that would make me very happy to do yeah and you know not just drugs but bringing back literal medicine that yeah. will heal people Sorry, I don't, I don't, I, I use the word drugs loosely. I don't just mean recreational drugs, oh, right? I just, oh, okay. I, I mean, I mean all, uh, anything that mankind has found that is able to alter our, our physical, our mental states, you know, for, for, for gain, for fun, for, you know, whatever, to heal, to heal things. Yeah. When did you get into psychedelics? In college? Yeah. In college, I experimented with a lot of things. My friend, so I never did drugs 
drugs this now i'm talking about recreational drugs but i was i was always you know growing up you're against it there's those dare programs and then one of my friends finally i met someone who like was like successful you know he was a very successful pre-med student biomedical engineering and he was like you want to try shrooms i was like yeah so then i tried it because i trusted him i was like well this guy's not a fuck so i guess it was worth trying and then i mean it just I remember I was listening to Beethoven or something and like I felt the music in my soul instead of, you know, just hearing it. And I, I was like, there's a whole nother way to perceive the world here. Uh, and that just opened my eyes and, and you know, I was fascinated, right? I read um, Doors of Perception by... Aldous Huxley. Yeah, Aldous Huxley, you know, and, and that, that was about mescaline, but, you know, his idea that the brain is this reducing mechanism, this world out there exists like this and and our we have such a narrow view and these things allow us to see the rest of it it's it's fascinating um but yeah so that was my moment what about yeah, you? i love psychedelics when was my first experience yeah or how did you find it or you know i think ayahuasca was my first psychedelic that i took that's intense other than weed i guess uh, weed yeah, is yeah, considered yeah. a psychedelic but ayahuasca was the first thing that opened my mind and my heart and my spirit to show me that there's more beyond this physical body and this physical yeah. experience. And I went down the rabbit hole after that for the past 13, 14, 15 years. I've yeah. been studying and researching and experimenting. I don't do it anymore. It's been a few years since I have, but I'm a huge proponent and it works so much more than traditional therapy. So when people complain to me or are stuck in their story, I'm just like, bro, take some ayahuasca. <laughs> It'll work, trust me. And yeah. there's so much, there's so much resistance because it's new, you know, it's not fully integrated into our society. And maybe in 50 years it will be, it definitely is more than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Just the level of conversation within culture and the curiosity. But I've always been uh, a tripper. So anything that's going to enhance my mind or help me move through something or see, make me see a part of myself that I need to remove, like a roadblock, I'm down. Yeah. I'm actually due. I'm due for one. I should. I should. <laughs> I think I'm due for one too. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's, it's so, like you said, breaking past barriers, like changing your mindset, having new ideas and different neurons interact that normally it wouldn't have. I remember one of my first times doing psychedelics in college. I mean, this maybe isn't a great example, but I broke up with my girlfriend the day afterwards and it had been like a terrible relationship that was way overdue. You know, I think we both realized that and just, you know, people are sort of stuck in their habits and you just kind of do things. And then it really, it caused me to reflect and I was just like, this is not serving either of us it definitely can serve as a catalyst for positive motion for and yeah. it's fun I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. it is also fun right like definitely music sounds great you know like yeah for me what my observation is especially with ayahuasca is that during the ceremony of ingesting it and the process of the experience It'll do things to the mind and the body and energetically that when I come back into life, life is shifted. Yeah. I don't know so, if you have I've that never done Aya. Tell me more. Oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. No. Have you done LSD? Yes. Okay. So I, I think LSD does something kind of similar to where, well, I'll just tell you my experience with ayahuasca. So 
it's a, about a six to eight hour journey, each time completely different. But there was one in particular to where I was sitting there just with my eyes closed and I could feel the medicine working on me in my brain and my body. It was nothing crazy. It was just basically I was meditating and I could feel it moving through my system. And the next day, something I, I couldn't, I still can't even really put words to it, but something had shifted. There was more space in my mind. There was more calm and peace and grounding in my body. And as I was walking around, there was, it was almost like a layer of life had been peeled off or maybe 10 layers actually, because I felt more connected to the things around the me. world around you. Yeah. Yeah. That sense of connectedness is true of all psychedelics, actually, right? And that's what's so mm -hmm. crazy. It's like, it's not the drug itself, but there's something that it's opening, you know, in our mind where you feel like you, there's the barrier between you and the world around you is, is nothing that, you know, it's lessened. One time I took way too much LSD just by accident. I blended into the world. There was a, there was a total moment of ego death where there was no sense of me being myself. I just kind of felt like the wind moving around and like the lights and it all felt like me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a beautiful part about psychedelics too, is that oneness and the unity that we get to touch. Cause then in life we can bring it back and really yeah. start to integrate it into our lives. And that's, what's so cool about everyone who has done psychedelics is that they've touched that place. And yeah. And when you meet another one, you're like, oh, you've been there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's just a way of seeing and perceiving, interacting with the world. It's, it's with more respect and more, uh, more, more empathy and, and care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We can get so stuck in our patterns and our, our mind. It, it's very um, this clenching on to things when, when psychedelic teaches us how to relax, like the gimpy gimpy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true. Did you, did you, were you in one of those? Did you get grabbed no, by one of those? No, no, no. I okay. was on a walk and the trail guide was telling us about it. It was next to us. There was also this other plant that looked like a heart. It was succulent looking on the ground where if we had touched it, it would have killed us. There's no cure. <laughs> Yo, that's intense. How can you just walk people through that shit? Like, what? Yo, Australia is nuts. That, it's like a, that's a hostile environment. It really is. <laughs> they have plants that'll kill you, jellyfish that'll kill you, and I think that's it. Oh, spiders, spiders. Spiders are gnarly. Jesus. Anytime we went swimming in this specific area of Byron Bay, there were so many killer jellyfish there that they said we had to wear suits. So they wouldn't touch our skin and underground i mean underwater at night you could see all these flashing blue lights from their tentacles oh that's so cool i've never watched bioluminescence before but i can only imagine that's amazing it happens once a year in it california really yeah. yeah i'm surprised you haven't seen it you grew up in san diego yeah, but I was just a fucking child. Like, what my parents didn't know about this. They were like, you want to smoke some weed and go look at some jellyfish? Like, that just wasn't, that wasn't some shit that my parents did. Yeah, the, the wave, when it crashes, you can see the beam of blue. 
when it hits the sand. That's so cool. I think I'll look it up. Photos. Yeah, look it up. And when you. is it? Like, I'll just go. I've, I've, most of my friends moved to LA, actually, when I moved to New York from way back when. So I'll make sure I go visit them at that point. We can all get high and look at the jellyfish. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. <laughs> it's just to be in nature. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking for my next move, at least within the States. I don't know where I want to go, but I do know that I want to be in a place that's more... I think like Denver, Seattle, or maybe somewhere in California. Well, how, how's LA in terms of being close to nature? LA is a great base. Yeah. Because you can get to so many places from here. It's very central, such as the Eastern Sierras are only three hours away. The beach is only about 45 minutes away. You can go up the coast to Big Sur. Yeah. The only complaint I would have about LA, because I've been toying with the idea of maybe I should go somewhere else and leave LA, is that where I live itself is not in nature. Of course, and, but if you want to live in a city with all the services, then that's always yeah, going to be the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's, it's really up to you how you want to wake up and start your day, I guess. I'm sure in Denver, it'd be a lot more peaceful and you'll have more space, yeah. more trees and birds at your window. Whereas for me, I have someone's air conditioning unit outside <laughs> my window. <laughs> fair, fair. Not as bad as New York City all concrete jungle which has its own charm but i live next to a police station and it was just ugh, throughout the day all the time it's impossible to sleep man so. i lived off of bayard and mott and do you know where that is in chinatown no, no. oh it's, it, it's right underneath canal yeah 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 i know i do know now okay and every summer the fish smell from the markets Oh, it was so oh. disgusting. Every time I left my door to go walk to the train, oh. I, I had to hold my breath. <laughs> New York is nasty like that. Like it has its charm for sure, but it's also, uh -huh. it's, you put up with the trash on the streets, the fish smell, like just all kinds of crazy people. Like it's, yeah. I looked at maybe 30 apartments before I had found this one. Yeah. There was one, one apartment that I looked at where someone was sleeping in the living room <laughs> i was like there's a human in here <laughs> and, but the whole, entire place was empty i was like oh no this is not gonna work <laughs> i only looked at like five places but one of the ones that i looked at uh the lady was trying to rent me it pretty much there's like a hallway between her living room and her bedroom shut and up in this hallway there was like a twin bed space that you could like it slotted right in. So like you'd walk as you oh. walk through, there's a twin bed slab. She was like, "Yeah, but you can have the living room for thirteen hundred dollars a month." And you know, I'm not really. I'm like, "What? No, I don't rent you this shit. What the fuck?" Uh, I also lived in Brooklyn near the Bed Stuy area. Much better, by the way. People actually live like human beings out there. Yeah, more yeah. space. But there were rats, so I had to leave early. Yeah, that was a problem. I rented this container house in Bali, and there were, uh, at night, you could hear rats running through the walls. It was uh -huh. so loud that you couldn't sleep. Like, I had to get earplugs. And I was like, this was such a beautiful house, but this fucking kills the experience. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. This is even worse. I lived in yeah. Koreatown in LA, and it was a beautiful building, but just old. So the walls were hollow like that, what you're saying of the container house. And there were rats that would pee and the pee would soak through. So one day I look at the, <laughs> I look at 
the wall and there's a giant pea stain. And then the next week, a possum came to the roof and started stomping around, found its way into the wall. I thought it was a human being. It was so loud. They're really heavy footed. So I called the cops <laughs> and the cops came, the helicopters came. And they're like, we, we tried the laser radar surveillance system and we don't see anything up there. And then I realized later it was a possum. Fucking possum. All right, that's <laughs> disgusting. Between the pee and the possum. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. yeah. I'm blessed. Here in Dallas, I mean, there's not much to look at. It's kind of boring, but like, this stuff is comfortable. There's not like a people living on top of each other. There's no fucking animals living in my walls. Like, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Texas. What's Dallas like? Very standard metropolitan. It's a nice cheap home base. There's no state income tax. It has all the creature comforts. Every place is kitted out with great AC. Most places are new. You have all the shops and nice restaurants and, you know, whatever other amenities you need for like life, right? It's just, there's not a lot of interesting stuff here to do, I think. Mm. But since I like to travel, I mean, Dallas is a great kickoff point for anywhere in the U.S., as well yeah. as, you know, most international destinations. And it's a cheap home base. I like it for now. Yeah. For while, I, while I'm doing this, I spent four and a half months here last year. So it just, it was a nice, like, you know, place to have my stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. The whole state of Texas doesn't have tax? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have income tax. You pay federal tax and that's it. They don't, they, they tax here. I think it's property tax where they get most of their revenue. Oh, um, is the wage are the wages lower because in california that? yeah for sure okay but I, I don't like when i was in high school i worked selling suits in an outlet mall and i made six dollars an hour oh, what? this was back in it was 2009 2008 uh but i mean it was definitely higher in california right i don't know maybe it was like 10 bucks no it was when i was working i lied about my age and i got my first job at 15. you're not allowed to work until you're 16 but i worked at cold stone creamery yeah <laughs> yeah and i think the rate was 725 if i remember okay so it wasn't that much better yeah, yeah. i don't know how much it is now but um they just crushed it down right they're trying to raise it to 15 federally yeah yeah too bad yeah, but for like for consulting, so I, I don't know how, if you just had like a professional job where you weren't traveling, I'm sure it pays more in New York and California than it does in Dallas. Mm. Uh, but for consulting, since we're deployed internationally or, or just in the US, it's the same pay no matter where you live. So there's a huge upside to oh. living in Dallas versus living in New York. Like when I made the move back to Dallas after my sabbatical, I was getting my paycheck. And I was like, fuck yeah, like, there's so much extra money. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You can and then when I did my taxes that year, I was like, oh, I don't owe a ton of money this year. Holy shit. That's great. Oh my God. New York fucking kicked my ass with taxes. They came back six years later. It was like, yo, Chloe, you owe us. <laughs> <laughs> Those motherfuckers. God damn. <laughs> State, federal, and city. Oh my God. It hurt. It hurt a it lot. <laughs> Yeah, it hurts a lot. <laughs> in California, there's this crazy law for, I don't know if it's millionaires or billionaires, but if you leave, you have to continue paying state taxes for 10 years. That's absurd. That's absurd. <laughs> They're just trying to lock in the cash, right? So you don't just... Yes. Yeah. And do what with it, though? 
you know i don't know what what has gotten better in california yeah i'm not sure where the money goes you know Uh maybe the parks maybe the parks require a lot of money for what there aren't many parks here so like maybe you know this is fucking i have no idea i have no idea public transport no right not really it's not really any public transport in california yeah in la or dallas oh no there's tons of buses there's Oh, there's buses. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. There are buses here, too. I mean, it's fucking... What's yeah, the I don't homeless know. situation in Dallas? I don't see many. But Dallas there's isn't really a walk... There's there's some, you know? But uh, it's not like... as It's not really a walking city. So there's not like... It's not as bad as even Austin. Certainly not as bad as San Francisco or New York. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty good. LA is really bad right now. Yeah. Yeah, like people breaking in, casing homes. This morning, I was walking my dog, and this guy who was all bugged out, looking at me like this. <laughs> <laughs> five minutes earlier, had just been cussing me out because he walked across me, and then five minutes later, was asking me for money, and pretending like he was gonna cry. I was like, "Yo, <laughs> what? Yeah. You just cussed me out." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's no rhyme and reason to this stuff. It's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they're going to do to fix, clean, help them because they're just stacked on top of each other and they're staying put. They've really built out their fortresses. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the homeless problem is I don't know how to solve it. Right. It's uh, it's complex. Yeah. Because you can't just give them money because they won't work. But then right. they're also not in a state where they can just go do a job. You know, because they don't have a home, right? It's and then, yeah, I don't know. In LA, they had said that okay, we're gonna set up this building, and you guys are gonna live there. And then everyone who lived around it was like, no, 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 you can't. Have yeah, here. I'd be like, no, nah, I don't want no yeah. nah, property value. Like the fuck, I just bought my home. I don't want to do that right, shit. Right, right. So there really is no solution. I mean, ideally, what would happen? I do think there would be like a program that involved housing, teaching them job skills, getting them placed in jobs, and then slowly transitioning them out. But that's, I mean, that's asking for everything, right? It's like, yeah. So would they have to build out a community, kind of like Disneyland, and each part of the community would be a different facility of what they were going to teach them? Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. But then there's all different types of job placement and stuff. I mean... And, and then, like, once you have that community, like, how do they get out? Like, if you can live uh, nicely in that community, then you would never try to, you know, like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a yeah. Problem. There were stories that I heard where people would get paid by the city to leave. To leave the city to go, just to, just to get out of there? Like, here's, here's some money, and then you have to leave? I don't know that that sounds like a great plan. Because then like they a get money. Plan. It's a terrible plan, right? And then what? Either a they go to another city with some cash and then continue doing the same thing. You've given them no skills or ways to get out of their situation. Yeah, it's just a very selfish, short-sighted strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind. You're not my problem. Mm-hmm. But they'll probably come back. I mean, the weather in LA is nice. They'll probably come back. Oh yeah, if I was homeless, I'd be in LA or Hawaii for sure. Like, it's hard to be homeless in Chicago. Like, for the winter, like, what the fuck? You're gonna die. I know. Whenever I saw a homeless person in winter in New York, I would call with the 311 to come get them and help them because it was so cold. Yeah, yeah. I can barely stand being outside myself with my clothes on, right? Same. Does it snow in Dallas? 
Uh, it did. We had that polar vortex thing oh, like a few weeks ago, but I mean, no, it hasn't stood in like 10 years. Oh, that was the first time in 10 years. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Oh. 10 years is just like the last time I saw snow was 10 years ago, but like, yeah, pretty much something like that. I read that that was the worst that, that it's had in something like 100 years. 100 yeah, years definitely. ago, there was Because like, mm. like, I remember it snowing once when I was a child and it was just like nice. You know, it yeah. wasn't like a ton of stuff. This was like oh, the fucking power grid went off. People lost water. I luckily didn't lose water or power here. I was very happy. Uh, oh, but, but yeah, a lot of my friends, actually all of my friends lost power and water at some point. Really? Yeah. Damn, water was out for like keep... a week and a half. So how did they survive? Did they have backup? No, I mean, they would just go to their parents' house to shower, or go to a coffee shop to use the restroom. Like it was, you know, like, yeah, not great. Oh, I read this really sad story of a little boy who froze to death in his trailer. What? Yeah, his oh, mom. Oh, because they're living outside and they didn't have. Yeah. He was under like 10 blankets, him and his sibling. And the sibling lived, but the baby died. Damn. And the mom came home really from work don't and have found him. other it. means. That's sad. Mm. Fuck. Yeah, well, then none of my friends had it that bad. That's insane. I'm not sure if that was Dallas or Austin. It was somewhere in Texas. During a disaster. I mean, I was just in Austin this weekend and like uh, they're under the bridge downtown. There's like a ton of, it's like a, it's like in LA. There's a bunch of uh, tents and all the homeless people kind of live there in this like parking lot area. I have no idea how they managed during the storm. Right. I mean, that's, there's like nowhere to go. You're not going to be able to stay warm in there. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was down there. Mm. Not to completely change the subject. No, we should. That was sad. Yeah, <laughs> that was sad. I want to ask you more about the Maasai tribe in Africa. Okay. I've yeah. never been. Did you take photos of the tribes people too? Uh, no, I didn't do the village tours uh, in part because they weren't really being offered because of COVID. And also in part because I feel like it's cultural voyeurism. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I get it, like some, but I'm not a, like I'm a wildlife photographer. I'm not like a photojournalist. So yeah. I would be taking like tourist photos of them. Yeah. You know, I have photos of my guides. So all my guides are Maasai. And, and so like, you know, I have some Maasai that I, I, you know, keep in contact with. One sad thing in January of this year, just after I left, he messaged me. So one of the boys, as part of the, they live with the animals in that same area. And so they have, they have cattle that they herd, right? And uh, one of the lions had, had become injured and couldn't hunt like prey anymore. So he went after the cattle and one of the 18 year old boys tried to defend the lion, killed the boy. Um, yeah. Aww. So then uh, he sent me this video of, I could just send it to you later. It's, it's kind of cool. It's like the, the Maasai war party. Like everyone got together and put on like the face paint with their spears and, you know, and they went out hunting for the lion. They didn't end up getting it that day and the Kenyan wildlife service killed it. But yeah, so that's, that's about my exposure to the Maasai. But I, you know, I'm not like deeply steeped in their cultures or whatnot. I'm really curious about Iboga. That's more from the people in Gabon. Oh yeah, I don't know. Mm -mm. Are you familiar? No. Oh, so Iboga, Iboga is a plant medicine that a lot of people use here actually in the U.S. to kick heroin and addictive substances. It's really strong. Look it up. You'll like it. Yeah, let me Google this shit. Yeah, yeah. I love, yeah, I love learning about new drugs. <laughs> We'll nerd out, but Iboga. you know how they call ayahuasca the grandmother medicine? They call yeah. Iboga the grandfather. And so it's a psychedelic, just like uh -huh. and a really powerful one, huh? 
Yeah. Tell me, have you, have you tried it? No, 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 but I'm really curious. And I don't want to do it with just anyone, but it's always been something that I wanted to do is go to Africa and meet someone from the Gabon tribe and do it with them within the culture. Okay, well, I'm adding this to my list of things to do next time I'm in Africa. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Have you, uh, when you did Aya, did you go to Latin America and do it with the, at one of those retreats or did you just kind of do it in the States? Do you mix the pot yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know someone who makes the medicine for a lot of people and he showed me how it's done and I was around during the process of it. One of the vines that he has comes from Terrence McKenna. Terrence McKenna was yeah. one of the, yeah. He's Psycho one of not. The, yes. Yeah. He was one of the first people to bring it back to the States, to his farm. And that's where the majority of the vine comes from, from the medicine that I've had. It's, you know, this little tidbit that I love to know the history of where it yeah. comes from, where it comes from. Really magical to see the vine growing amongst the trees and how it grows up towards the sky, towards the light. Yeah. And to see something so old, I mean, it's more than a hundred years old, what's growing of what I saw. I have a piece of it that I yeah. brought back, yeah. <laughs> is it like, can you grab it and show me or is it just, it's like on your wall and you can't? Um, it's, okay. it's, it's in the garage. If you don't mind waiting for 30 yeah. seconds, I can yeah, go, go grab it. it. Get it, get okay. it, I wanna see it. Okay. <laughs> BRB. Yeah, we're nerding on the stuff. Hell yeah. Oh shit. This is the Aya plant vine? That's yeah. This. So hold on one second. So the root that's connected to the ground is about this thick, maybe what's the diameter? Three feet in diameter. And then it grows thinner and thinner and thinner into the vine. With two to three feet, it's like a tree, like a fucking massive tree trunk. Wow. But it's not as tall as a yeah. tree. It, it wraps around the tree. And then this thing, so if you if you were gonna make it, this is like, you like chop this up and then put it in a stew or is that how that goes? Yeah, so Aya is this vine plus another tree of just the leaves and then they're mixed together. Oh yeah. So for this, can you see the pattern? Yeah. So they would take this and shred it up like you would for, um, have you had twig tea before? Uh, That's what it kind of looks like. Just a bunch of long skinny shards. Yeah. Yeah. So you cook that in one pot and then the other pot you have leaves and then mix it together or separate them because then the active ingredient is not activated. Yeah. I only activates when they're mixed together. And voila. I Crazy to... how people figured this out. Yo, in the middle of the Amazon jungle. <laughs> right? Thousands of other plants. How? Like how? Like, you know, if you just ate shrooms, you're like, okay, well, yeah, I just tried eating everything once and this one worked. But this is like, how did you know to combine these two things? And I know, I know. That's, that's when you really get to see, oh, it's beyond the physical experience. There's something mm -hmm. telling y'all what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I would have loved to be like a shaman. I was thinking like what my role would be in like a prehistoric village. And uh -huh. like, I'd be the shaman. My vision isn't great. Like I, I had LASIK, but before that I can't see shit. So I wouldn't be able to hunt very well. 
at all. So I think my, 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 my value would be just like, oh, here, take these drugs to solve your problem. Oh, you just got bitten by a tiger. Take these drugs. Put this in the thing. Mm. It would have been a cool role to do. Mm. I think I would have a similar role. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Yeah. yeah. From what I've just gathered about you over the past hour. Yeah. Probably the one that all the villagers come to talk to. I have that. Spiritual enlightenment. Something like that, even though I'm not enlightened. Something that helps others on their path. What do you call those? I guess a shaman. <laughs> yeah, a shaman. Yeah, <laughs> the village shaman. Yeah, I would love to go down there though and do it because the only people I've done it with are in the state and they come from the jungle, but I've never been in the Amazon. Cool. Can we do that? Can you yeah. take photos yeah, of animals? Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. I was yes. just going to ask you like, where you've done it in the States, but also, fuck it, let's go to fucking the Amazon and do it. Yeah. yeah. There's one teacher that I really like. He used to live in Brooklyn, but he had to go back to Peru during COVID. He left. So let's go but visit now, him in Peru. Yeah, we can go to Peru. Now he's in Hawaii, but I think he's coming to LA soon. But if there is a community wherever you are, he'll come. Like if there are enough people who want to do it. Dope. I'll have to get his name from you or whatever. That'd be dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll link you. Or if you move to LA, he's here three times a year. Something like that. But I've always wanted to do an excursion like Richard Evans Schulte. Yeah, off to Peru. Like Traveling with purpose is the best kind of travel. You know, you're going there to do this thing, to to do a ceremony for a week or whatever with, with these people. Yeah. Okay, I'll be Richard and you can be Albert. Yep. Sounds good. <laughs> Fire. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for your time. This is so fun. It was a pleasure, Chloe. You're so, this is fucking wonderful talking to you. I think we have yeah. a lot of the same interests. So it was just great talking about all these things. Totally. Where can people find you, your work? Oh yeah. Uh, I have a website, acuriousape.com. And then also on Instagram, a.curious.ape. That's where I host my wildlife photography and also some of my uh, building and crane climbing stuff from my earlier days. Oh, yeah. I want to see that. That's so crazy <laughs> that you did that. Weren't you scared? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, everyone's scared of heights, but it's like after, it's also beautiful. So like once you calm yourself with the deep breathing and whatnot, you get the sense of like euphoria washing over you. And then you're just like, you have this 360 degree unobstructed view of New York City during the sunset or sunrise. and It's, it's gorgeous. Oh, it's well, worth it. It's like hiking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was anyone there to watch you and to make sure that you didn't fall? I took a friend once, but I was too afraid of him dying. So I'd never took anyone again. Oh. Yeah. So basically what you would do is stock out these cranes, see if anyone's around, climb up them. Yep. And that was your process? Yeah. I, well, my first process, the first time I did it, I was just walking by one on the street close to my home and it had an opening from the street and it was like unguarded. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I went and grabbed my GoPro and just went up. Uh, so that one was out thinking, but the other, most places it's like guarded, there's people working. So you have to kind of stake it out, you know, like see where the entry points are and go at like two, 3 AM because that's around like pretty much no one will be there. And then you, it takes about an hour, hour and a half to climb or whatever. And then you have sunrise and then you try to get down. One of the times I hit down and the construction crew was already there and I had like fucking dart between places so they didn't see me as I left. Oh my God, cool. you are, you are a wild man.
<laughs> that is so Those freaky. are my fun days. Yeah. You've seen that doc, right, of that guy who's tight roping across the Empire State Building? That's so cool. That's such a high skill level, right? Like what I'm doing is easy. Anyone could do it. It's just like fun. Yeah, but that's that's amazing. Tight roping. Tight roping. High, <laughs> high, high line? So high line is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, another thing that I just watched based in New York that you might like, Billie Holiday versus the government on Hulu. It's a, it's, it's a doc, Billie Holiday versus the government. It, not a doc, but um, there's an actress who plays her of her life. Okay. What do you call that? Yeah, I don't know. But those are better. Those are better. There's that Netflix OJ Simpson thing where they acted it out. And I'm just glad they acted it out because it just you get you get to see so much more than, you know, yeah. actual doc. Yeah. I love that with Cuba. Cuba Gooding mm -hmm. Jr., right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juice, go be juice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the Billy one, it won awards yeah. for okay, Billie Golden Holiday Globes. Billy Holiday against the government. Yeah, they tortured her because she sang this song called Strange Fruit. That was about I her story. Oh, okay. So I'll tell you a little bit. I won't yeah. spoil it for you. She used to sing this song called Strange Fruit, and it was about black people getting lynched, and the government didn't want her to sing it. And so it's that story of how they kept trying to find her or arrest her wow. and harass her basically until she stopped and she would never stop. That's tough. And so relevant too, to, right? So relevant. So relevant. Yeah. Damn. All right. I'll have to check this out. Thank you for all yeah. these recs. Yeah. All right, Andrew. Great to meet you. It was you. so great, Chloe. Hop on to Costa Rica. Oh, I will. Yes. <laughs> yeah.